Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the Galway City Your Council podcast series where we will share insights on the range of services, projects and people in the Galway City local authority area. Galway City Council provide a diverse range of services including beach maintenance, dog pounds, health promotion, strategic planning, tourism promotion and housing supply. This series will introduce you to some of the people delivering those services and the valuable work they do every day in Galway City. For more information on Galway City Council, please go to our website www.galwaycity.ie. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week is Paula Kearney, Galway City Council's first biodiversity officer. In a professional career that spans over 20 years, Paula has provided strategic advice and managed multidisciplinary inputs for environmental impact assessments on a wide range of projects including wind farms, greenways, roads, water treatment and flood relief schemes. In her current role as the Biodiversity Officer, Paula facilitates and coordinates the implementation of Galway City Council Biodiversity Action Plan with priority giving to developing biodiversity awareness and supporting a positive attitude to biodiversity among a variety of stakeholders. Paula is also involved in the development of nature-based solutions for climate adaptation and migration and mitigation and assists in the planning process to promote sustainable development. In this episode, I chat to Paula, I chat to Paula about the type of work a biodiversity officer does including working closely with communities of volunteers dedicated to enriching and enhancing Galway's biodiversity. So let's hear from Paula now. Hi Paula, you're very welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Thanks very much, Margaret. Thanks very much for having me. So you're the biodiversity officer with the Galway City Council. So I suppose the first thing uh, is if you could tell us about your role. Um, yeah, so I'm in the role about, I suppose, 18 months now. Yeah, so it's been very interesting. It's the first time there has been a biodiversity officer in Galway City Council. So it was a brand new role. There are other biodiversity officers around the country, but this is part of, um, so not only myself, but there's a number, there's 12 or nearly 15 biodiversity officers now have been recruited um, across the, the across the country. Um, so that's with the Heritage Council. And um, so, yeah, so it's really it's a very interesting role and hopefully a very, very important, very valuable role really to um, to try and address as best we can or as much as we can the biodiversity crisis. And uh, that very much ties in with the, the climate crisis as well. They go hand in hand. So, so it's a very diverse role um, involved with most sections, not all sections really within the local authority. And then obviously with members of the public as well. So I suppose the biggest really from when I've started is trying to gather information, trying to understand the biodiversity of Galway City um, and that really is looking at national um, data sets, local data sets, and really any information. And that comes from universities, uh, non-government and government organisations, National Parks and Wildlife Service, um, and Fisheries Ireland, the Marine Institute. So all of these organisations really are gathering this information. A lot of that information is communicated to the National Biodiversity Data Centre. But above all that, really, it's the citizen science piece. So it's um, the work that people do in their own time, um, which is just, I find just phenomenal. I, I worked in the private sector for a long time, so I was probably removed a little bit from that, other than what I did personally, but really just the time and effort the people um, contribute really to gathering and submitting information about biodiversity in their locality. So that's a huge part. So I'm looking to hopefully enhance that and support people in doing that, continuing to do what they do, and um, hopefully to support them um, yeah, in, in whatever training they may need um, to really 
So for you, for us to understand what's in the city, we can better protect it. I suppose that's really the biggest thing. And um, and to then to work with um, with the citizens of Galway City and the surrounds, um, we had to to do our best to do that. So are you the first biodiversity officer? Is like, is it a is it a brand new role? It's a brand new role, yeah, in the city, yeah. Mm. So um, I think prior to my post, there was about five in other in other counties uh, spread across. So, but to be fair, um, to absolute kudos to the heritage officers who were really kind of um, undertaking the role of biodiversity officer and heritage officer in certain in some local authorities. So, which is a huge undertaking. Um, so, I say they've been doing that job to date but obviously they, that support was badly needed for them and we support them and equally to um, define the role as biodiversity officer so as I say it is an issue with the Heritage Council yeah but absolutely um, yeah there'll be be very very difficult for us to do our job without all that work that's been done by the Heritage officers to date and I suppose the obvious question is like what what is biodiversity yeah it's a, it's a very <laughs> I know it's a very um, open-ended yeah, so, question but yeah I've dedicated my life to understanding what it is. Um, I suppose, yeah, it, it is very basic um, terms. It's really, it's the diversity of life of living organisms on the planet from from the largest creatures, the, the blue whales, to microorganisms, bacteria. Um, microorganisms are in the soil and our skin. Yeah, it's um, it's really it's the diversity of all living things, really. And what's your background? How did you come to that? Yeah, long and winding road. Um, I suppose from a child and when I was in school, I always loved, um, went to convent schools, loved the nature walks, always loved. I think I, I'm forever looking out the window. So it's probably a, a bit of a bit of a pain for my teachers. But so I always had um, had a love for nature. Um, and yeah, so then when I went to college. I did microbiology first, actually. So it was all like biological science. It was always that interest. Um and then my biologist for a while. And then, yeah, it just wasn't really for me to be in labs. Um, so I went back and I went back to college and studied environmental science with ecology. So, um, but since then, you know, various different downturns and looking for work. So I've worked in all sorts of jobs and, um, but largely I suppose environmental science initially, but then I've kind of tried to perfect my craft more so in ecology, which is really looking at ecosystems. So it's about the living and the non-living. So the air, um, water, land, how that supports biology, how it supports the um, the organisms, the biodiversity, really. So I'm kind of a more of it's a holistic side of it. I'm not an expert in botany, flowers or insects um, or birds. I know a little bit about a lot, I suppose, um, which is kind of the job of the ecologist and to understand then what environmental conditions or processes support them. Um, so like, you know, say if there's water pollution or air quality issues, um, yeah, so looking at those effects and how they might be impacting biodiversity. So I suppose that's my background is really looking at the at the whole, as opposed to um, I suppose the one or two species in, in a habitat. So I'm, I'm trying to look at at the whole. So there's experts, very very um, intelligent, amazing people out there. They're experts in in all these fields. So I work with them collaboratively. So if there's a specialist piece of work that needs to be done for a species. Um, then I, I would I would reach out to those experts. Um, but yes, yeah, so then I suppose my role is to kind of bring all that together to understand how we can improve it. First of all, if there's any impacts or risks to the, the habitat or species, and then if there's anything we can do to to help them. Interesting. Yeah, actually, the word I had in my head was collaborative because, and you you just said it there, like it's that must be a huge part. And you also mentioned about working in every you know you're you're connected with every department within the council and. And then you have community groups that you're dealing with. So it must be a big, huge part of your job, is it? It is really. And um, I suppose, yeah, just uh, with the job in the, in, in the council, trying to, um, I suppose, reach out to various different organisations. And 
and literally only very recently I, I was trying to set up a biodiversity forum and um, biodiversity mailing list so I can best communicate now to be fair we have an amazing communications um, team in Galway City Council um, I am not social media or IT savvy in the slightest but they really have taken that that stress from me and they've been amazing um, so I'm working very closely with them to try and communicate if there's any training or events um, or any interesting projects that um, that we need volunteers to help out with um, so they're helping me with that um, but also I'm, I'm building up a very good relationship with my colleague in Galway County Council um, Rosina, shout out to Rosina Joyce there um, yeah, so again that collaboration within the, the lo- within the city council and also with county and surrounding local authorities um, it's a very very big part of it and obviously uh, well my previous background I worked for an engineering consultancy so um, I've worked in large engineering projects, so it's great to be able to have that um, relationship and that dialogue with the engineers in the city council, um, and particularly water engineers and the environmental engineers and scientists, um, yeah, to understand, I suppose, what work's going on and how we can incorporate measures for um, safeguarding biodiversity in, in our plans, but also in other developments, um, private developments that are going on around the city. You mentioned earlier on about how the general public have been amazing. Have you found that, that since you came on, people, I mean, it's a topic that means a lot to a lot of people, isn't it? Oh, very much so. Um, yeah, and I think that is, as I say, coming into the public sector and really has really opened my eyes. Um, just the time commitment, because time is our probably most precious commodity and we have very little, but really mm. certainly um, spare time. So, and I think just any events that I've, um, you know, I've either hosted or attended and just, um, it's just overwhelming the, um, the interest and the passion that people have really for, for biodiversity and for the health of our planet as a whole, but also, but equally the biodiversity and the ecosystem health of where they live. So, um, so that's amazing. And there's a, there are these groups that have been set up across the city, um, to kind of bring, um, like-minded people together and equally to kind of, you know, to, to work with local communities on enhancing their local environment is just, um, yeah, it's amazing. It, re- it really is. It, it's very humbling. And I suppose my job in any small way that I can and can do to, to help them out. So I say it's been a bit of a, um, yeah, kind of a slow start for me in a way, just trying to really get to grips with everything. But I'm hoping in, um, in the coming months and years that, um, yeah, I'll be able to work a lot clo- more closely with them, with these groups. You know, if somebody wants to do something personally you know like what would be would there be what were the top three things a person could do their personal lives to support biodiversity um but if if people have a garden no matter what size there's always things you can do there but i suppose um the top three one would be to plant a perennial so we have there there has been a lot of i suppose encouragement towards the wildflower meadows and everything that over the last number of years and um, that is quite a controversial topic now because there has been some invasive species that have come in and maybe the mixes aren't mixes of flowers that you normally find in the locality where you live. So um, there is, there's been a bit of a change in tide with that. But so the no more really is, um, is where that um, trend is going and that that's more, of more benefit to our local biodiversity. But, um, but even if you don't have a garden or piece of green grass, then a, a, a perennial plant. So that's a plant that come back year and year again. Um, perennial flowering plants so um and our herbs so perennial herbs um so your lavender thyme because they all flower and they provide um you know an excellent pollen for your local um pollinators so your local bee species uh butterflies um and then 
you know, they provide food for the table. So I always think just even if you had a few pots of herbs on your windowsill, if you had, even if you're in an apartment or a small space, that can provide a, an amazing um, contribution to your local biodiversity. Because cumulatively, even if it's only one or two pots, if everybody had one or two pots of herbs, they're all what we call stepping stones. So because of the distance that insects can fly to, if they have more food available in a, in a smaller area, it's, it's, it's a great benefit without not having huge lawns of, of pollinating plants. Small, um, small effects can have, have massive, um, repercussions, um, massive benefit, I suppose, I mean, more in the positive word, but, um, so that, that's a great benefit. Um, an apple tree or a nut tree in your garden. If you had that space, again, you provide food for the table, but the flowers in spring provide nectar for pollinators and then, any fallen fruit um, provide very valuable food source for our birds and um, any of our small mammals, you know, hedgehogs, um, mice that might be around their garden. You mightn't see at night. Um, so they're, they're very small measures if you have the space um, that can be very, very effective. The other thing, I suppose, which um, is a bit of a passion project of mine at the moment, again, is it, ponds <laughs> and creating small areas. Now, I do try to practice what I preach. So in my own garden, I am trying to implement all of these things. So... Um, yes, yeah, so I put in a pond last year and just the wildlife it has brought to the garden. It was hardly filled with, you know, filled with rainwater and birds were inside and bathing in it and dragonflies and damselflies. It's just, you know, frogs and newts, you know, in spring. So um, it's not a huge space, but it, again, it, it does depend on space and obviously safety as well if you have young kids. But it could really be a bucket, um, an old basin um, that you could put into the ground. Um, and there's loads of videos on YouTube with regards to um, small ponds in your garden. And um, yeah, it's not if it's a steep sided vessel that you have, just making sure that you have kind of built up with stones or ramps so that if anything falls in, like a little mouse or something that can get out, um, or equally frogs and moose can, can make their way out. So, but it's amazing from a very, very small pond feature, the wildlife that attracts. And again, as I say, water being the source of life, having little pockets of water throughout the city can really support our local wildlife in a huge way. I suppose pond projects is something I'm, I'm looking to roll out um, across the city, um, but it just is going to be funding how we can actually support people if they have the space to put in ponds. Um, well, yeah, that, that's the start of it, really. And then it's kind of maybe just put into people's minds. I'd see actually, do they have a space or a corner for, for a pond? Um, but there, there's other initiatives in Clare and in May, I think they've ordered us called Hare's Corner. So again, it's looking to see if you've got space for a wild area in your garden that you can, you know, sacrifice or donate to nature. Um, then there's, there, that's a, a funding support system. But, um, so we look into that for the city to see if it's feasible, but there will be more to come for sure. Yep. And have you noticed that different, um, attitudes towards biodiversity or enthusiasm? Why say by different age groups? Um, I would say that's, yeah, it's a very interesting question. I think there's, I mean, school kids because of the way, again, as I say, from when I was a child, and it still goes like nature walks. I think there's always that enthusiasm. I think just that natural curiosity, curiosity and interest with children. Um, I have had the, the honor of taking some kids out on nature walks myself, and it's just, just I love it. So I think that that enthusiasm is just very naturally there, and it's very naturally at the forefront of their minds. But I don't think, obviously, life gets busy as you get older, and, and families, jobs, and all of that kind of thing. I suppose maybe the, I don't know if the interest wanes; it's just the time. Um, but that's not to say, as I say, it's all ages come to these events and things like that. So. I would say all ages have an interest, and certainly it's very much in the in the forefront of the media 
And again, I suppose Irish people generally had would have had a very strong connection, historically a very strong connection to the landscape. Um, we're very an agricultural country, so our farmers are the custodians of our landscape. And our landscape was very much formed by agriculture and grazing animals. So, yeah, there's a huge, huge interest there. And we have a huge legacy equally to, to try and maintain them for our future generations. So, so that interest in there, and as I say, between the government organisations, right down to the local groups, yeah, there's um, a massive interest and support there to do that. Yeah, I was kind of curious because I was kind of thinking with younger people, they're they're very aware of climate change and carbon emissions. And I would kind of connect by bio, healthy biodiversity with that. So I was kind of curious, were younger people more aware of it maybe than we were? But that's a good point. You know, so as Irish people, we've always kind of innately been aware of that, even our landscape, I suppose, with our hedgerows etc isn't it we, we've also we've always kind of had that in a way in Ireland yeah and maybe I suppose maybe that is not is taken for yeah maybe taken for granted I suppose it's innately within us really um but yeah I think that with regards to climate change the biodiversity crisis really ramped that up and um and I'm acutely aware of that anxiety and that stress that causes them, particularly to the younger generation, as you know, the teenager, early, early twenties. And, um, and it's just, it's, it's overwhelming. And all of that information, especially the way the information comes at people is going from all different media and everything. Um, and I suppose just going back to her, so what can you do? You know, some people just go, oh, God, it's too big. We can't do anything. But as I say, it's like the butterfly effect. Even the smallest changes can have you know, the biggest impact cumulatively, you know, if everybody makes a small change. Um, so I suppose that, that's really kind of, I suppose, the main message of that. But um, yeah, certainly there, there's a huge interest. And it again, with the youth groups um, and the local schools, they just, again, that enthusiasm and again, putting pressure on our on our politicians and local government um, on what we're doing and what we'll be trying to do for, for biodiversity um, and, and climate um is certainly that's it's certainly very present and yeah and absolutely would be supported yeah I must get a great sense of satisfaction then in this role do you like um because I'm sure particularly because it's a new role and such an important area there must have been loads of voluntary people working you know doing it themselves you know outside of the council and now see you and they must be delight delighted that it's kind of getting official recognition and that you know, am I right in thinking that? You must get great satisfaction out of it. Yeah, well, like, for sure, like any from when I when I started, I know that, um, you know, numerous um, politicians and local voluntary groups have been pushing or had been fighting for the position for a long time, even before the, the Heritage Council um, network support had been formed. So, um, yeah, so that pressure certainly had been on for a long time. So, oh, wow, I have, um, <laughs> there's high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> And I will do my very best. I'm very, very committed to it. Let's see, I have a lifelong um, interest and passion um, for for natural history, I suppose. But yeah, it it is um, it's very daunting. It is daunting um, because there, there's a lot to do, and um, and then I suppose to obviously meet people's expectations um, and hopefully meet the environment's expectations <laughs> or needs of me. Um, but yeah, I can't. Definitely, it is. Um, it takes a village. Um, it because these people, all these amazing people, have been doing all this work without any help from me at all. Um, 
I'm just curious. I see here a thing about wildlife corridors. And it's that, do you, are you involved in that? I have an image of like, like Noah's Ark, you know, oh, yeah. fox going through, <laughs> wildlife, too, through the city. Yeah. Are there actual, are there, like, what is a wildlife corridor? So wildlife corridors, the obvious ones really, I suppose, we are river corridors. Oh, yeah. And what's um, very important for a river corridor, particularly for rivers and flood, is that, you know, so it's, um, it's, it's floodplain um, or that there's, um, the edges of the river, um, they're very, very important for wildlife and to commute. So obviously the carb is a very important um, wildlife corridor because it runs from the sea right up um, through the county. Um, so that is an amazing resource and, and a very, very important wildlife corridor for connection. And um, so we have these protected species such as otter and our aquatic species, salmon and um, lamprey. And it's necessary for them to be able to commute from one habitat to another. And equally, um, wildlife corridors are very important. So in storm events that animals can find refuge, they can move safely through these corridors and find refuge during events. And equally, as climate change advances or our climate changes, um, how animals can respond to that and being able to move throughout a landscape is very, very safely. Um, throughout a landscape is very important. So, um, we actually had a study done by the Vincent Wildlife Trust um, and they they looked at the connectivity through the city for wildlife using circuit theory. So electrical circuit theory. So using landscape um, constraints um, as barriers really to to that. So it's very impressive and um, very complicated. <laughs> But they had, um, yeah, so the output from that then shows us in City Council where the barriers for wildlife um, movement. So I say landscape features are the resistance then to this um, circuitry modelling. Um, so it looks at everything. So from our roads, our lighting, um, our physical barriers, housing, um, physical barriers too, um, to the movement of wildlife. So so the, the three core areas really are so the carb, I say a very, very valuable um, wildlife corridor. On the west of the city, then up through Barnard Woods. Again, you've got the connection to the sea right up into the peatlands, the wetlands of North Galway, and that kind of green belt that is really to the north of the city. So that could they go across then to the curb. And then on the other side of the city, east city, then Terryland, um, Forest Park, and Merlin Woods. Um, again, these are very, very, they're, I can't even really quantify how valuable these spaces are with regards to animals to be able to move wildlife able to move um, throughout the city and up into the wider landscape. So that was kind of a you know kind of a macro scale. But then so I'm working with um with the with the recreation immunity team on the green spaces strategy um for the city. So that so the ecosystem services side of the natural capital that also looks at the connectivity of the landscape for wildlife, but also looking at green corridors or where there may be opportunity for um alternative or commuting corridors for people, you know, largely looking at cycleways, um, walkways. Um, and that could be compatible with wildlife movement as well. So there is obviously a delicate balance to be struck there because um, depending on the, the species that are found and how they interact. So lighting, again, is an impediment for bats. So how we light our public walkways um, or, you know, maybe the times of day they can be dimmed. And actually, there's been a huge amount of work done in the city in certain locations with the LED lighting and that uh, they're dimmed in certain locations so as not to act as a barrier for bats. So there's a lot of work going on with that. And again, trying to provide um, more sustainable transport 
or transport corridors or options for people to be able to commute. Yeah, so that that's a that's a huge part, um, really. So it's just it's about connection. It's about connection. Um, and as I say, just with the, with people, even kind of or call it stepping stones, stepping stones. Even if you don't have a linear direct con, um, connection, having small green spaces in where you live can be so valuable. As I say, providing refuge or a source of food or water, you know, can be so valuable to facilitate animals moving throughout the city. Like, what is the green spaces strategy? It's looking at how we can use our green spaces more efficiently, really, in the city with regards to people's needs and how those needs have maybe changed over time and maybe different, you know, sporting activities or creating space for kind of active sport or more passive, you know, walking or just spaces for contemplation and relaxation. But looking at that, um, and then obviously from an economic point of view as well, how we can sustain the environment um, and biodiversity in along with that. Because as I say, particularly with regards to these corridors, these networks, um, green space, that we are considered of that space for nature and uh, and that buffering between human activity and, and wildlife as well. So it's a very, very complex strategy and um, are for the, the consultants on the project. So they're doing a series of mapping really for us to create a baseline, but it'd be very, very powerful tool because that mapping um and all those data sets they're collating, we'll be able to measure change over time. So it's a very, it's a very significant data set baseline that they're preparing. Um, and then we can use that then to inform future policies, objectives, um, you know, zoning for the city if, if that's appropriate. But any development strategies, um, you know, re-strategic planning, it'll be a very, very powerful tool. Um, just to kind of, I suppose, to, to make the city function. Um, better for for people, um, and and to encourage people to stay in the city and to be able to you know to, to cater for people's needs, um, in the city while also protecting the environment. Yeah, so it's a very complex, very challenging project, but um, I think the outputs from it would be exceptionally valuable to us in the long term. And could you give examples of those type of groups that would you would work with? Like, what sort of people do you deal with? Um, yes, with people from, from all, all ages, all walks of life. And, um, yeah, I suppose the main groups at the moment, and I, um, really is kind of the areas that are in need of, um, of attention. And particularly, I suppose, I'm, I'm focusing really on public lands, um, at the moment where I guess was like kind of the greatest influence in, in the short term is, is the, is the priority. But I'm to say like the, so I suppose the friends of, um, Barna Woods and also Barna Tidy Towns, there are two groups that have been very active in Barna Woods. Um, so we're working on their, working with Leave No Trace Ireland. They've, um, they've been undertaking a number of training programs throughout the summer. Um, just again to try and understand how the people use the woodland as an amenity, but equally how then can we support the woodland so it is it survives into the future. It is suffering some amenity pressure, um, but really we want to make sure that that amenity is available to people, but also that the biodiversity persists. So, so um, and they're, they're fantastic. They're ambassadors, absolutely ambassadors um, in that area. And on the other side of the city, and um, east of the city, um, so we have the friends of um, Merlin Woods, um, Caroline and her husband, Colin, um, that's you know, the main people but I work with, with with the with the community and work and they're just there again amazing and just equally they're how they're very active in recording um, natural history and um, Colin's amazing photographer so just his um his records on invertebrates in particular butterflies and dragonflies damselflies they're just just amazing and again their enthusiasm and they're fantastic for organizing events 
and um, which I contribute um, sometimes in, the, in a small way. So, um, and we're looking at um, a pilot project um, with Antashka. Um, it's an EU life project for ponds for biodiversity. So that's a project that's coming up in the very near future. So um, there's actually no surface water in um, in Merlin Woods. Um, the stream, the Barna stream is now dry. Um, and that really is, is a result of obviously development in the area. Um, but we're looking to to re to rewet the, the the Merlin Park stream to daylight or deculvert is what the, the kind of terms are, but it, that is a very complicated and uh, will be take time to actually deliver. So in the short term, we're looking to to create ponds um, and there's a lot of great diversity of wildlife in, in Merlin Woods. But this will hopefully enhance um, the biodiversity of that woodland by by providing surface water that's water as a source of life. So. Um, so that's a very exciting project and we're providing training on that as well. That's open to the uh, members of the public. And then um, Brendan Smith, of course, um, how could I <laughs> not have this podcast without him? Um, the force of nature that is Brendan Smith and um, and Terryland Forest Park, um, two at Ter- Terryland Forest Park. They're just, again, amazing. Um, he he gives people energy just by being around him and, and enthusiasm. So that they're the only three. I suppose I'm focusing on the woodlands there that are between east, west, and in the, the middle of the city. Um, but again, um, there's other voluntary organisations um, that on their own bat are just doing again amazing work. They're helping local communities collect wildflower seed. Um, they're moving ragworth from from meadows. Um, again, training events. Um, yeah, so it's just they're 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 so numerous, really, and I suppose it's, I'm trying to get to grips with that and try to kind of get out and meet with them and support them in any way I can. Um, and again, Coast Watch and um, Sea Search again on a marine environment, not to forget the marine. Um, again, litter picks um, and out there trawling the beaches. Um, you know, every weekend they're just, as I say, I just I, I can't keep up with them. They're just they're just amazing. So um yeah so that they're kind of the, the groups that and they say the marine institute and the aquarium um yeah so there, there's a lot to be done but we're very very lucky that we have such a diverse um, range of ecosystems in the city yeah so and they say we couldn't do anything really without those those local groups and the work they do community engagement that's the crucial thing isn't it for it really work. is it really is yeah and um yeah and i think yeah, and it's just, I suppose that people don't feel like they're working in a vacuum, you know, that they have that support and that their their work, their val- invaluable work is not going unnoticed. Um, so I, I just, the, certainly over the winter months, the summer has been has been very, very busy um, with, the, with a number of projects. I don't know if you're familiar with it, the Sand Dune project that's been initiated in Grattan as well. Again, that's another community initiative with the University of Galway. Yeah, so it's really, it's kind of, out there supporting people and training and citizen science and how to record that data and to make sure that information that they're gathering isn't going to waste or isn't going unnoticed because that feeds into national data sets and so important for our future planning that we capture all of that information. So that's a really big part of my work. And also um, another training event, please, hopefully before Christmas, um, is how to help people with regards to invasive species. So um, unfortunately we're getting records um calls in on a weekly basis with regards to invasive species so Japanese knotweed is probably one of the main one in the city and um and because of its damage it can it can actually damage infrastructure and um, that's very concerning. So we are actively working with um national experts on on the control and management of invasive species. So we hope to roll out um a training a training packs really for people um on how to deal with it most effectively and how to record it and how to deliver those records um, to the Biodiversity Data Centre. And particularly if there are species that haven't been recorded in Ireland yet that could be 
there's one like the Oak Processionary Mat that has just been recorded in Dublin. But because it was recorded immediately, it was dealt with immediately. So that spread, they were able to halt it in its track. So it's so important. But as say citizen science, the people actually out there observing these things, observing something unusual and being able to report it can have a massive influence really on the security of biodiversity in an area because invasive species are, are really detrimental to, um, to the security of our biodiversity. How do people report it? If someone did see something unusual they wanted to report, how would they do that? Well, we're, I'm working with IT to set up a portal, but in the interim, um, the National Biodiversity Data Centre, it's invasives.ie. If they log on there, there's a way to record it and really taking pictures and a great coordinate. Um, and they have scientists there that can verify um, the records. So um, really, so that's, that's the, if they can send to that. And again, they're the national body for collecting data. So if there is something unusual or that hasn't been reported before, something that would be, you know, um, I suppose like a pathogen or something, um, I suppose like ash dieback because of maybe it wasn't recorded soon enough, whatever, but that's just ripping through the country. So we're obliterating ash trees. So, um, so besides something like that, something unusual, and uh, our expert, um, Dr. Fred Giaquento, is working with us. She calls them the thugs of the environment, really, and they can cause some serious damage. So, yeah, so the, the best way to record it is to, well, sightings of any wildlife, but um, but of invasives would be certainly a priority for us at the moment, and that would be to the National Biodiversity Data Centre, yeah, invasives.ie. And you mentioned there about the protecting the sand dunes, is it Grattan Beach? Is that That's right, right, yeah. And I really like the idea, like you had a day there, didn't you, in, in August, where people could come and, you brought people around, show, you know, showing the different flora and fauna, et cetera, the seaweeds and everything on the beach. So anyone could go to that. I thought that was a lovely idea. That's right. I can't take credit for that. That was, uh, well, this well, it was the initiative um, that's been brought forward by um, Carol, which is the regional um, climate action um, offices. But it was leading no trace. So they're, they're a body that I'm working with with regards to environment education. So they are, they have fantastic um scientists and communicators working for them so i cannot take credit of the absolutely promote promote the event um put in the sand fencing myself so certainly um but yeah they they organize events and say they have that expertise so they're amazing but again having more of those open days um yeah. just great to get people out and about and just to kind of have a, have a fun event and equally it's a way of you know thanking them for their participation but um and just to kind of increase curiosity and awareness really about uh, the environment around about us yeah, but I thought it was even interesting. I was reading a, uh, an article about it and it just, you know, it was listing off all the things on the beach between the crabs and the seaweed. And it was kind of when you're listing, I was kind of, yeah, yeah, you kind of forget there's so much, even that one little area. Oh, it's just amazing. Um, like even down at Ladies Beach on the reef there, um, and you wouldn't think there was any rock pools, but actually if you go longer, just and the diversity in these tiny puddles of water, um, you know, and shrimp, and guppies and the various seaweeds and um, all of the, you know, the, the coastal or kind of these what we call the intertidal species. It's just, it is, it's phenomenal. And it kind of brings, I think it brings out the child and people really kind of, you yeah, know, exactly. that, that curiosity. Um, but yeah, it's just, it really is amazing. And there's, there's that work being done with regards to our coastal and understanding our, co- our coastal ecosystems. Um, yeah, so there's, um, again, work that we're looking to, to kind of roll out really with regards to helping people to go out and actually do an audit of their, of their coast and, um, you know, from, from the edge of the beach right up to the, the tide, where the tide is and, um, and record what they see. And that's including, you know, if there's any rubbish recorded or again, seaweeds and getting just their eye into the different, um, different species out there.
And where would where would people if they wanted to get more information, where would you direct them to? Like, would they go to the? Do you have a website or is there a Facebook page or? Um, yeah, so we have the um, so at the, at the moment through the Galway City Council City Council website. So there's updates there with regards to biodiversity. Um, and there's been a lot of really, I suppose, hopefully um, the word a lot of posts with regards to Grattan Beach. So that's probably been a very that's been probably the most active project um, during the summer. So there's been a lot of um, news feeds with regards to that. So we can get updates there again. Um, Twitter. Um, Instagram again our, our community our communications team and um, they're very very helpful with that um, with regards to what people can do themselves in their gardens or in their local communities um, pollinators.ie um, they have fantastic resources there um, with regards to um, again I say planting pollinators managing your green space for pollinators um, then with regards to ponds um, there's a man called Phelan Harty based in Clare um, again um, he has numerous videos on um, YouTube with regards to creating ponds and spaces. So, um, yeah, and on Tashka as well, the EU Pond for Biodiversity as well, that website. So there'll be, as resources become more available, um, and as, as I kind of, I think, um, maybe it's just about the way I learn, right? I like to learn very practically, and I like to show people practical examples. Um, you can be really, there's numerous websites, there's numerous, <laughs> all sorts of literature out there, but I think sometimes... Um, you know, by you learn by doing and learn actually by seeing something actually in action. So I'm hoping to do that across the city so I can provide that support, that visit, very visible and practical support to people in um, improving biodiversity in their locality. Thank you for listening and we look forward to sharing some more great interviews every Tuesday. Please subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you'll be the first to hear new episodes every Tuesday. You are listening to the Galway City Your Council podcast.